This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Acts 2, beginning in verse 44. It says, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Of course, we know this is in Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. This is right after Peter had preached that first gospel sermon, and he had told the people there at Jerusalem, all the people, the Jews, were gathered at Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. There's tons and tons and tons of people there. And Peter had preached to them, and he preached to them that now that they had killed the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and that that the people who believed that, they came and they were baptized into Christ, and they, they believed. And So we're talking about those who were baptized into Christ. These are the church. It would be the very first church at the time. It says there that they sold their possessions and good. They parted them to all men. You can see that if you think about the Jews that came together at Jerusalem, they were from all over different lands, all over different regions. They were from all over the place. There's a very good chance they didn't know each other very well, these people who believed. There's about 3,000 of them when it first started. They probably didn't know each other very well, but yet they had one common bond, and that common bond was that they believed in Jesus Christ, they believed that He was the Messiah, and they obeyed Him through the act of baptism. They were in the church. Even though that they didn't physically know each other, they didn't have a, a background with each other, they had that common bond, and they were willing to sell everything that they had and depart to them and give to those people in need. They continued daily with each other. They stayed together. They wanted to fellowship with one another. They studied the scriptures together. They went from house to house, fellowshipping and encouraging one another and having hospitality. They did this with gladness and singleness of heart, meaning they were unified through Christ. And then it says that they had favor with all the people, that these were not just the Christians they had favor with. They had favor with everybody in Jerusalem. They were that shining light that we're called to be. There's lots of different things that you can pull out from these few verses here. The key things that we're going to study is the relationships that they had from the very beginning and the relationships that you and I should have today. So the first thing that I want to look at is the reality that just as they needed each other back then and they sold everything and they took care of the needs of of the other people, they needed each other and leaned upon each other. It's the same need that you and I, I have for each other today, that we need each other. And it's a reality that we need to come to terms with. So the first thing I want to look at is I want to clearly define how Jesus views the church. What is the church from his eyes? So the first thing we want to look at is he views it as his bride. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You know, we can look at this parallel between marriage and and you can think about your husbands and wives and you can think about the intimate relationship that they have with each other. They share everything. They talk about everything. They hold each other accountable. They lean upon each other in times of need. And that's the relationship that Christ views the church with him. You husbands out there, think about how you care for your wives. Think about how you love your wife, how you cherish her. You want to take care of her. That's the same way that Christ views us today. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is how Christ views the church. When we think about the church, this is us. This is you and I today. It's the Christians who have been baptized into Christ. We are the church, and this is how Christ views us. He loves us, and He cares for us, and He wants to take care of us. We also have in Ephesians that, that the church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 22 says, "...and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all." So Christ also views His church as His body. And with that being his body, he wants to take care of it. He wants to make sure that we always take care of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So Christ views the church in two main ways. It's his body that he takes care of and he nourishes it and he makes sure he cherisheth it. And then he also views it as his bride, and that he loves it and sanctifies it and wants to cleanse it. So this is how Christ views the church. And he also views the church as a very intimate and personal thing to him. And we get that when you remember back in the story of Paul, when Paul, before he was converted to Christianity, he was known as Saul. He was a Jew, and, and even he says he was a persecutor of the church. As it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, this is Paul writing here. He says, For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. That Paul was persecuting the church. He was trying to destroy it. You can read of stories where he was traveling around the region and he was finding Christians and he was throwing them into jail. He was even part of, of killing Christians, as we talk about in Stephen in the book of Acts. He was there and he was part of that persecution. He was wasting it. He was trying to, to kill, kill it off and get rid of it. When you think about that, Paul had never met Jesus while Jesus was doing his ministry. There's not one time where Paul had met Jesus directly. Now, after Jesus has died and was resurrected, then Paul met Jesus. And this is what, he, what happened when he met him. When we look at his conversion example, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 4, it says, "...and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord..." went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to, Damascus to, letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way being Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound in Jerusalem. Now when you think about that, so this was Paul and he was going to Damascus, he was finding Christians that he can bring them bound and throw them into jail. And then in verse 3 it talks about how there was a great light that shone round about him. We know that light was Jesus Christ. When he came, and this was after he was resurrected, and he appeared unto Paul, Remember that great light that blinded him? And then in verse 4, he says, He fell to the earth, and he, he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Here's what I want to look at. Jesus came to Saul, and remember, Saul had never met Jesus before. Personally, Saul had never threatened Jesus. He had never persecuted him. However, Jesus took it personal when Saul was persecuting his church. Does that make sense? Saul was going out and he was persecuting his church. He was killing his Christians as his bride and as his body. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes it very personal when we persecute his church or when we ignore against it and kick against the pricks. 
So here's the question I want to pose all of us this morning. How do we look and look at the church and how do we treat the church? Do we look at it the same way Jesus looks at it as both his bride and as his body? And he loves it. He cherishes it. He wants to take care of it. He wants to present it holy and without blemish. Or do we look at it the way that Saul treated it before he was, per- before he was converted and he was persecuting it, he was kicking it against the pricks, and he was ignoring the church and he was trying to destroy it? How are we looking at the church today? You know, when we think about that, we are all, each one of us as Christians, we are all part of that body that we talk about. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's going to be a lengthy reading. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27 And I want you to think about all the different ways that that you are a member of that body. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more are those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness." For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Paul is writing to the church here in 1 Corinthians, and he's telling them, you are this body. And he's saying that you need each other. Just as each part of your body needs another part to function in its role, you need the other parts of the body of Christ to function in the role as well. You know, we all have certain gifts. We all have certain talents that God has given us that we are just naturally better at than other things. You know, I may be good at something that you're not so great at, and vice versa. You're, you're very well at something that I'm not so good at. And if you're not performing your role, then the body is not performing at its highest level. And if I'm not performing my role, the body is not performing at its highest level. When we think about that, we think about and we see the true need that we have for each person in the body. Even the ones that you don't think do very much, most of the time, they're doing a whole lot more than what you think they're doing, and they're... they're thoughts and their things that they're doing are very necessary for the body to continue. You need those. That's what he's talking about. Some of the ones that we say that we don't have a whole bunch of abundant honor is what they say. They have more abundant honor is what, what they're giving them. So when we think about that, we need and depend upon each other to perform our roles. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 28 says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. You know, when, we, when we're baptized into Christ, what it talks about here, we become a Christian, we all become one. There is no differences between us, and yet sometimes we still try to segregate ourselves, we still try to put differences among us, even in the church. And it's a shame, but sometimes we do that. Sometimes we segregate ourselves based on economic status or social status or age or maybe common interests that we have. We tend to get into these little groups and we segregate ourselves. And what, what Paul is writing to the church of Galatia here and what he's encouraging us to do is remember that we are all one. We're all inclusive. We're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to remember that at one time we were all without Christ. We were all without hope, we were all without strength, and now we've been baptized into Christ. We all have a common hope and strength. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, it says that at times past you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity by the, thereby. Here's a little example for you. When you see that, what, what Paul's writing here is really there's two walls that separated us from God. The first wall, as you can see, that there's a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. In, in the Old Testament, if you were not a Jew, you didn't have any hope. You're not a child of God, right? So there's a wall of partition between them. There's also a wall separating us between God and, and ourself, separating us to God, and that wall is sin. And what Paul is writing here in Ephesians is that when Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins, he broke down both walls and he made us all into one as Christians. There is no such thing now as Jew or Gentile. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And he broke down that wall of sin, separating us between us and God. So when we look at that, at one time there was separation. Now we're all unified. We're all one in Christ. And that is the church. When we think about these, that, that we're all in the church, we're, we all have different roles and that each role is useful. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 8, it says, For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. When we think about we have all these different gifts, like we were recently talking about, we have different roles, and these different roles are all useful to function at the highest level we can. Now, the roles are there for two reasons. The main reason that, they, that we have these different functions and we have these different gifts from God, first and foremost, is to glorify God. The second reason why we have these, re, re, these roles, we have these different offices, is to bless one another and to help each other so that we're always using it. 
So the point is that we need everybody and that every function has a role to play. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. When you look at that word, it says meet to be partakers. That word meet means to qualify or to equip. So if you think about every member in the church, if they're a Christian, they've been baptized into Christ, it's God who qualifies them to put them in there. It's God who makes us meet. It's God who equips us to be with the inheritance of the saints of light. It's God who put them there. It's not any person. You know, there's some denominations out there, there's some religions that believe you have to be voted into a church, and it's a man-made decision. It is not a man-made decision to be a Christian. It is God who puts you there. When you obey Him through baptism and you obey it, God puts you there. When we think about that, think about all of your brothers and sisters, everybody who has obeyed God, God is the one who put them in the church. When we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he love God, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. You know, it's impossible for us to say we love God if we don't show the same love to the church. We talked about in the beginning that, that Jesus looks at his church as both his body and as his bride. He loves it. He cherishes it. We looked at Saul, how he was persecuting, how he was kicking against it, and he was ignoring it. So here's the point. If you're ignoring or you're kicking against or you're persecuting any of your brothers and sisters, then you don't have the love of God in you. It's impossible for you to. And vice versa. We, we know that you love God, and you can know that you're loving God, when you're showing that love towards your brothers and sisters as well. You know, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we're taught that we were never intended to be alone. We were always intended to have other people with us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Just in that verse, you can see right there that, that God is multiple. Of course, we know God as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, let us make man in our image, that there's going to be more than one. And then he says, and let them have dominion over the fish, not him. He didn't just make one man. He made multiple. So he was intending that we would have each other, that we could lean upon each other. And then in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. Of course we know that's when he made Eve that she would be a helpmeet for him. And it's talking about the, the relationship of husband and wife, that they're to help each other. But the same concept goes is that man was never intended to be alone. Man was always intended to have people with him to help him out and to encourage him. And the same thing goes for us today. You're not intended to be alone. You can't make it on your own. The attitude that we should have is that I cannot make it to heaven without you. And you can't make it to heaven without me. This is the relationship and the attitude that we should have as the church, as true brothers and sisters of Christ, to encourage, to edify, to strengthen, to hold each other accountable, to do whatever it takes to help each other get to heaven. <clears throat> you know, in the New Testament, when you look up this phrase, one another, it has it in there, talking to Christians 33 times. Here's a few of them. When you're looking at that, 
It tells you to love one another, honor one another, have fellowship with one another. When it tells you that, you're supposed to be doing this as Christians for one another. It is our job as brothers and sisters to put out and to help each other get there. Let's look at a few of those. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And in verse 11 it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So now we know we should love each other, we should comfort one another. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, tells us to forbear one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That word forbear means to have patience with one another, be long-suffering with each other. And forgive, of course, we know what forgive means. So now we've seen we should love one another. We should have comfort one another. We should be patient with each other, forbearing. We should be forgiving each other. The last one we'll look at is to receive one another. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. When you look up that word receive in the Strong's Concordance, that's the Greek word 4355. Here's the definition, to receive means to take to oneself. That is to use food to lead aside, to admit, to friendship or hospitality. Receive, take unto. Here's what he's saying there. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's saying, receive ye one another. That means bring each other into your lives. Bring each other in. That's friendship. Show hospitality one to another. The only way that you can do that is by spending time with each other outside this this assembly that is the only way that you can have hospitality is to invite people into your homes get them there get to know each other learn how you can help them learn what their strengths are their weaknesses are in the kingdom of god and maybe your weakness you can fill it by your strength and your weakness they can fill it by their strength the only way we're going to know that is if we spend time with each other and get to know each other so this is what we're talking about here is love one another, comfort one another, have patience with each other, forgive one another, and bring each other into your life. You know, I recently had the opportunity, this was a while back, to go down to Houston when they had the hurricanes down there. They had all the flooding, and I had the opportunity to go down there with my work and be able to help them. And I got to stay for a few extra days and go over to a little town called Orange, Texas. It's down on the Gulf. They had lots of damage that, that came through, lots of flooding. And a lot of members in the church down there, they needed some help. So I, I got the opportunity to stay for a few days extra and go over there. There was a family over in Orange, Texas that I had never met in my life. I'd never been there. I've never been to Orange. I didn't know anybody that met at that congregation. But we had mutual acquaintances. I called a couple people in, in Houston area, and they got me in touch with a family. And a family there, the, the man's name is Freddie Shores. And I went and I called him, and, and he said... You know, you can come on over, you can stay at our house for a few days. We greatly appreciate the help and the work. So I got, showed up to his house, he gave me directions. And when I got there, the first thing that him and his wife did, they opened the door and they welcomed me in. The very first thing that he said, are you hungry? We've got dinner ready. I didn't know these people. Or I've never met them. But they welcomed me in just like I was their son. They told me, you can have that whole end of the house. We don't use it. There's your bedroom, there's your bathroom, there's the kitchen. The fridge is full. Take whatever you need. They welcomed me in just like I was their son. In worldly terms, in earthly terms, I was a complete stranger. They didn't know me from anybody. 
Now, if you had somebody that you didn't know knock on your door and you didn't know anything about them, would you welcome them in and tell them the fridge is full, there's your bedroom, stay as long as you like? Or would you be a little bit apprehensive? I'd say most of us would be like, who in the world is this guy and why is he at my house? But for them, we had a common connection. And that common connection was Jesus Christ. That I could show up to them, and even though they didn't know me worldly and physically, they knew me spiritually as their brother. And they treated me just like their son. And I would highly encourage you, anytime you're traveling, anytime you're going to different areas, look up congregations that you can go visit. Find brothers and sisters that you haven't met before and go meet them, and I will guarantee you your life will be blessed because of it. If you will get in the habit of doing that and realize that the church is not just the people who assemble here at Johnson Mill, but the church is the worldwide assembly of Christians that have been baptized into Christ, you realize that it's much bigger than you can possibly imagine. You can go meet these people and you can go see how they can bless your life and how you can bless their life as well. When we all get on the same page as Christians and as brothers and sisters and we realize this genuine need for each other, then it will produce the body that God intends. So let's look at what that, that produces that it will be. The first thing that it's going to produce is a place of belonging. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. When you look up that word exhort, it means to call nearer to invite one another. So what it's telling us here in Hebrews is don't forsake the assembly. Of course we know not to forsake the assembly. We know that we should be here with our brothers and sisters anytime we can. But it's not only saying don't forsake the assembly, but it's saying take the direct opposite. Instead of not just forsaking assembly, exhort one another, bring each other in. So call near to each other and find ways that we can, we can have fellowship and we can encourage each other. It also is going to create this bond and this place of unity that, that everybody's looking for. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You know, everybody in the world and everybody as Christians, they're always looking for a place of belonging. Everybody. We always want to fit in. We always want to know that we're welcome, we, that we have a place somewhere. Nobody ever wants to be a lone island. Nobody ever wants to be out there and just everything is on their own. They want to have a place of belonging. Well, this is what the church can provide. We can provide a godly way of belonging for anybody who wants to be a part of it. we got to realize that the world is always calling people to belong in them. The world is always calling you out. It's calling you to go fit in with your worldly friends or the things that, that are of this world that are temporal. And we also need to realize that the church can be this place of belonging and that people can fit in there as well if we put on these things, especially love and charity. 
The next thing that it can produce when we all realize this need for each other is an appreciation and a value for every member that's there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, if there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If every Christian were to do this, if all of us were to do this as brother and sister, look not every man on his own thing, but look also on the things of others. And in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's going to create an appreciation and a value for each one of us. Think about having all of your brothers and sisters esteeming you better than them. Think about you esteeming all of your brothers and sisters better than yourself. That we can truly see and we can fulfill that need and that love that we should have for one another. In John chapter 17, we have a prayer from Jesus. And, and Jesus' prayer was that we would all be unified. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 21, Jesus said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That is you and I today. Jesus was praying for each one of us, and he was praying this, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. There's a whole lot in those couple of verses right there. Jesus was saying that he was praying for everybody who was going to believe on him through the end of time. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you've obeyed him, Jesus was praying for you back then. The second thing is he was praying that we would all be unified, that we would all have the same mind, that we would all show and, and have this love and this need for each other, that we're helping each other get to heaven, that we would be one in them, that we would be that one body, that we would be that bride in Jesus and then also in the Father. And then the next thing is he was doing that so that we would collectively be that shining example to the world, as it says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. When the world sees us as Christians, they see us as brothers and sisters being different and truly having that unity and esteeming each other better than ourselves and having that true need and desire to spend time with each other and that fellowship with one another and bring each other into our life, into an intimate relationship to help each other get to heaven. When the world sees that, the world will know that Jesus is the Messiah and that the Father sent him to die on the cross for their sins as well. And they see it through our actions with one another. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look how many times it says the word together just in those few verses. It says that he quickened us together. He made us alive together with Jesus Christ. He raised us up together. He made us sit together in heavenly places. God views the church. He views us as Christians as one. We should be unified. We should be together. Then let's look down in verse 20 and 22. It says, And built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets... 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom all the building, building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, and whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we should always be looking how we can come together, how we can be more unified, how we can be more like-minded through Christ, and that He is our chief cornerstone. We're always looking for togetherness. That is what the New Testament's teaching. When you think about churches in the past, regardless of what denomination is, there have been divisions. There have been divisions in other denominations. There's been divisions in Christ church. And it's an unfortunate reality, but there have been divisions. Divisions come from people thinking that they are better than some of their brothers and sisters or that they don't need someone else. That's where a division comes from. If you think about unity, comes from esteeming others better than yourself. If I need you, why would I push you away? If you need me, why would you push me away? So unity comes from putting others above yourself. Pride destroys unity. Pride is what causes divisions. So when we think about if the whole world were to humbly submit to the word with an open heart, then we would all be unified in our beliefs. Think about that. If the whole world, 7 billion plus people, were to read the word of God and to humbly submit to it, and all they said was whatever the word of God says, that's what I'm going to believe and that's what I'm going to do, would there be any divisions? The Word of God doesn't change. And you and I can have that unity today. If we were to truly submit to God's Word with an open heart, with an open mind, and whatever it says we're going to do, and part of that is esteeming others better than ourselves and having a genuine need and love for each other, and we don't have to worry about divisions. All we have to worry about is how fast and how big can we grow this bond with each other and as the church collectively. The last thing that it's going to produce is it will produce growth. In Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole, whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. If, when we truly realize this need for each other and we're bringing this bond together, it will produce growth, and growth in two different ways. The first growth is that it's going to produce is it will grow in number. We will have more people come to the church because they're going to see that unity that we have as Jesus prayed about in John 17. They're going to see that, and they're going to want to be a part of that. They're going to be, want to be a part of that family, that love and support, and people that they can rely upon, and people that can help them in times of need. It will grow in number. It will also grow, the second way is in strength for each member. When it talks about here, it says that we've given all these different gifts, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, teachers, for what purpose? There in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. 
And then it talks about there in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, that we're growing in the Lord, that we're growing in wisdom, that we're growing in His Word, so that we're not going to be tossed to and fro with all these different doctrines that are coming about, but we're strong. And we have this strength from each other as well that's helping us hold each other accountable. So it's going to produce growth in both strength and in number when we truly submit to this what it, what it will produce. So the things that it will produce, to recap, is a place of belonging. It will produce a bond. It will produce an appreciation and value for each member. It will produce unity, and it will produce growth. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.